Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. I am Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad, and we have a lot of Minnesota Wild to discuss for you today, starting with the Wild comeback victory against the Chicago Blackhawks and their impressive run in January. Judd, you talked about how concerned you were about a January meltdown. <laughs> Putting words in my mouth. Yes, I think that they have answered your questions about that issue. I actually wrote when they lost to the Blue Jackets, and the next day all the stories came out, you know, is this going to be a January swoon? I said the one thing, there's a lot of things that I can't assure you about this team. The one thing I can assure you is under Boudreaux there will be no 15-game meltdown. So the, the Wild continues to win games or at least extract points from games where previously they never did. I mean, it's true. They trailed, what, uh, the Sharks, I think, by two goals twice. They come back. They win that game. They go and play the Kings. They get up two zip. They blow that lead. They're down late. They come back and tie. Now they, they lose that game in overtime, but they still get points. And we saw it again on Saturday. They go into Dallas. They have a four zip lead in the first period. And you're thinking, okay, this is simple. Dallas comes storming back, 4-4, and you're saying to yourself, okay, the previous incarnation of this team is going to lose this game 5-4. Guess what? They came back, and the Wild won. And then, as you just brought up, the Blackhawks game, you're down 2-zip, and you're thinking, you know, it's been a nice run here, but it's not going to be surprising if they lose this game. They come back and win 3-2. So the one thing, the difference about this team is the mentality and demeanor now leads you to believe that while they certainly will have a slump, that it's not going to be the death spiral slump that we saw with what the last – four years with Mike Hill. I also think that it's just the offensive capability of this team that in the past, in the Mike Yo years, they were not often one of the elite offensive teams. And I think it was a lot more about controlling the shot counter, controlling the puck, playing in position all the time. I mean, Bruce Boudreaux talks about defense, and I think his defensive strategy is protect the net and then start transition whenever you can. We saw that against the Chicago Blackhawks with Ryan Suter, a stretch pass. I mean, that's a fourth line. He's setting up a stretch pass and a clean zone entry for Chris Stewart to score on the pass from uh, Jordan Schrader. How many teams with their fourth line out on the ice are – 
having their defensemen make a stretch pass like that instead of just a conservative play, don't let anyone score against us. But you have the skill players to do it. Schrader has been a, a really good scorer in the AHL, so he's got skill, just undersized. And Chris Stewart has gone over 20 goals multiple times in his career. And even though we were down on Stewart in the last episode... You're down on Stewart. And, no, I always have been down on Stewart because <laughs> I don't think he is an all-around player. I think right. he's exactly what he is for the Wild, and he needs probably a better center for that line to be more effective, but I really like what Schrader has brung, and I think he will stay on this fourth line and, make, and makes them a better team with more skill speed. there. Yeah. That fourth line, though, uh, against the, the Hawks, what impressed me was Boudreaux identified the fact that, that they were playing well, and he didn't say, okay, but you're my fourth line, and so I'm not going to... He put them out there. Mm-hmm. Boudreaux is... The thing that I see from him, and I think this comes from being an underachiever himself as a player, but the thing that I consistently see from him is he only asks of a player what he knows they can do. Zucker, prime example, great speed, right? But Zucker, for a while there, would check out of games. So he had great speed, but he wasn't going for the puck, and there were times he said, what are you doing? Boudreaux identified that. Took him, I think, from the second line at one point, demoted him. And then he said, I'm demoting you because you can do X, Y, and Z. And guess what? He, he said, okay, I get it. Played well. It's like Boudreaux has a really, really good judgment of knowing what he can get from players. And players, I think, like that. And so if he thinks that you're not great, he's going to, to put you in, in a position where if you succeed, he'll play you. But he's not going to say... Um, you know, Chris Stortz playing well, so first line all the time. If Chris Stortz having a monster game, he might stick him up on the second line, for instance. But he's really good at identifying strengths and weaknesses and pushing th- the right buttons. And for a long time in this town, we didn't see that from the coach. And it's always a puzzle for how to do that, yes. right, as a, as a head coach. And you're right, a lot of teams don't have coaches that are great at that. And I also think getting the defensemen involved that are mobile on this team in the offense, Marco Scandella, I had a stat in my article. Well, let me see if I can remember it. I, I think that uh, three of the wild defensemen, maybe four, are in the top 50 and even strength points. I mean, they're getting up in the play and they're making plays, and that's the type of players that, that they have. Matt Dumba is that way. He's very offensively gifted. Jared Spurgeon, that's why he's here, mm-hmm. is because he can carry the puck and create. And uh, the same thing goes for Marco Scandella, who has that skill, even though he's a little bit bigger. But this leads us to where we wanted to go with this episode, which is in part for me to uh, complete the tease from our first episode and tell you about the Ryan Suter stat. But also, impressive. let's go back and take a look at where we stand now on the two contracts, Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. Because I, I think those are the things that have hung over this franchise since they were signed and didn't have immediate success and have not gone very deep in the playoffs with just one playoff win since those two guys were signed. And it was almost the expectation that they would come in as elite players and completely change the franchise around and make them a consistent competitor year after year for a Stanley Cup, not just for the playoffs. The suitor stat is that his puck possession numbers or his shot attempt differential when he's out on the ice, the other team is out shooting the wild by quite a bit. He's got a, taken about 46% of the shots when he's out on, on the ice, the Wild are. Okay. So the other team has got 
54 out of every 100, the Wild have 46 out of every 100, which is not a very good number. But when I looked at the shots inside the high danger areas, uh, I discovered that it's the exact opposite. It's over 50% or 54% for Ryan Suter when he's out on the ice, meaning they're, the Wild are getting a lot more close chances with him out there and not very many uh, they're not giving up very many close chances against, which kind of speaks to exactly what I've been talking about with Bruce Boudreaux's style, yep. that there were defensemen who had similar numbers to this in Anaheim at times. Uh, the guys who were the more defensive defensemen where they wouldn't have the best shot attempt differentials, but teams were not getting the high quality shots, which I think is why Devin Dubnik has uh, such a good save percentage. Sure. So on Ryan Suter, where I stand is because of that number, his offensive production, what I the minutes he plays, what I think he means to the team. I, I don't think he's quite in the Norris conversation because he won't put up enough points, but I think he is among the league's absolute best defensemen, just maybe one notch below your your Drew Doughty or something like that. But even still in that range though, still in that conversation. He is a top defenseman. Yeah. A true number one. He is a yes. Uh I think this is the first year that I can say that, that Watching Suter on a consistent basis, this is what you expected. Because nobody ever expected him to rush the puck a ton. And he's not a sexy player. But there were times in his first uh, three years here, I, I believe. It's, it's now year four, if I'm not mistaken. There were times in those first three years where he was really, really solid. And then there were times he said, yeah, you know what? For that contract, yeah, I, I don't know. But Ryan Suter this season has been fantastic. And... I go back to the Kings game. He had one bad game, and people on Twitter were back at it. You know, Ryan Suter, this, and this is exactly what he's come to be. No. Look at his overall work. He has been outstanding. And I don't know if it's because the coaching change allowed him to cut back on his ice time a little bit, which certainly does add up. I don't know if it's because the coaching change allowed him to just focus on hockey full-time and not be concerned about other dynamics in the room. But whatever it was, this was the player that you thought you were going to get, which is an incredibly solid number one defenseman who is consistent and he's not a sexy player, but he brings you exactly what you needed. I also think that Jonas Brodin playing at the level that he's supposed to play at takes a lot of pressure off of Ryan Suter because Brodeen is supposed to be kind of suitor light in yeah. a way. Yeah. He's Somebody who either. can skate really well. Uh, he's a better skater than Suter, I would say. I but think he can move the he can but, move but the puck. Can move the puck and is good defensively, not as strong as Suter, but kind of plays that same defense focused role. And he's been so much better at it this year than he was last year. I thought last year he struggled a lot and it showed up in the numbers that he was one of their worst defensemen when it came to both of those statistics, giving up shots while he was out on the ice. And they couldn't seem to find a, a good and consistent partner with him. It was just, it was a messy situation and he was a part of every Every trade rumor that was out there and that has completely changed and now the reports have changed too because it was always well the wild might move one of those guys they might move Dumba they might move uh, Scandella and now the report that's out there recently is they want to keep this defense together which is going to be next to impossible if I'm not mistaken I am I am not convinced that uh, the new team is going to take uh, Jason Zucker I have now become convinced that 
they very well might take a defenseman because this defense core has some really attractive parts to but it. But that's a thing that I would worry about in the offseason. I, I mean, I just would not spend a whole lot of time concerned well, about it. you can't it control it right because now. Because you know what they might do too, Las yeah. Vegas? They might lose on purpose. They might put together ah. a really bad team. And teams have done this in the past. Instead of drafting halfway decent players, yeah. they might draft bad players and try to just tank for a little See, while I think and get the, the next Connor McDavid. I think they'll try and be good on think purpose. So? Yes. Yeah, no, it could be. You could I be right. I think they're going to say, if we're going to compete in this market, which is going to be tough, we are going to try and yeah. be good immediately. And this expansion draft opens up all types of doors to be good right away. Yeah. Yeah, no, not I, great, but good. I agree with that. That you could be competitive uh, right away if you're Las Vegas. I just am kind of against talking about teams approaching the second half of their season with that in mind and going into the trade deadline right. thinking and focusing about that. I think they want to keep uh, the defense together this year uh, when there will be a lot of interest and in trade offers as we come to the trade deadline. Sure, but and I was for that at one point trading either Brodine or Dumba. But as of right now, I would, tough to do. I would say it would be tough to do, especially when you have a, if you have a coach that's really pleased with the way those guys are playing. Yeah, exactly. No, and their thing now is it's going to be very hard for the GM to go to Boudreaux and say, guess what, I'm going to trade this guy, right? I mean, this team is playing so well. If you can get a center, as we talked about on the podcast last week, I think you would explore that, but you're not going to, to give up a ton. Right. And that defensive core is playing so well that it's going to be, I think it's going to be really difficult to part with a guy because they finally, this is really the first time that they've gotten this group to play like this. I mean, they've had guys be good and then not good and blah, blah, blah. But you're now, you're now looking at a defensive core that on a night-by-night -night basis looks really damn good. So let me pull it back to the Ryan Suter conversation. You, sometimes when it comes to I'll, – I guess I'll be a little hypocritical here because last week I said don't worry too much on the Stanley Cup team about how much a guy is paid because if you're uh, competing for the Cup or you're the best team in the Western Conference, which the Wild are as we record this, yep. then – who cares if Jason Pominville is overpaid for his production? Well, I'm going to double back on that by with Ryan Suter. He is paid like the best defenseman in the Western Conference, mm -hmm. and you can never completely separate a player's contract in the NHL in a cap league. You can in baseball. I get tired of hearing about Joe Maurer's contract. Like it doesn't matter. You're not paying it. It's a non. Yeah, it's not but cap league. but when it it's just a thing that fans use to resent the guy because he's not as good as he used to be. Right. But in hockey, it all is is a big part of the conversation because of the salary cap. So. If you're paying him as the best defenseman in the Western Conference, where do you think he stacks up against the best defenseman in the Western Conference? Like, Are you getting the bang for your buck with Ryan Suter? Uh, probably not completely, but he's worth it, if that makes sense. He is, but I mean, if you were to look at this year now and say, okay, where would he rank among defensemen? I would say he's what? at the bottom of a top five right now, right? I mean, there, there, are guys, there are guys, if you open up an expansion draft right now from the Western Conference defenseman, there are guys I would take, but not a ton. And I think you don't appreciate Suter until you see him night after night mm -hmm. after night and the stability he brings. That's the thing is that ice time that he plays and plays it well is invaluable. I mean, you are looking, you're looking at a guy who on a consistent basis eats up ice time with high-quality play. That's hard to find. 
But if you were to open up the entire conference, I would say I would put him at the bottom of a top five, which is still really, really good. Yeah, right, off, you? right off the top of my head, uh, Drew Doughty is going to be my number yeah, one. I love Drew Doughty. He's I, I don't think there's any question who's the first pick there. Um, Brent Burns is one of the NHL's leaders in scoring. I've heard of him before. So, I, yeah, I know. As a forward, right? Um, but as a defenseman, he is one of the top scorers. His defensive ability can be questionable at times, that's for sure. But when you score that much, you're making up for it. P.K. Subban is up in that conversation, too. Some of these guys are different types of players than Suter. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, John Klingberg from Dallas is a completely different type of player. I mean, he's going to put up a lot more points than Suter, but Suter's going to provide much better defensive ability. And so, consistency. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's... a a case for him to be right up in that conversation for the best in the West. And the reason that I would say he is worth that money mm -hmm. is a guy by the name of Adam Larson, who to acquire Adam Larson, the Edmonton Oilers had to trade Taylor Hall. To I still get don't him. get that trade, by the way. I, I don't get it either. But think about the price tag that comes along with getting a top defenseman. And Adam Larson is not even anywhere near Ryan Suter's level. Yep. So it's, and Hall's a fantastic player as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I like him a lot. So they're, almost impossible to get these top defensemen. Yes. So once you get them, it's like a quarterback. You never want to let them go. And That's I think Suter is at that level. Uh, with Zach Parisi. Ah, the flip side of the 13-year, $98 million conversation <laughs> comes about now. You know, last week you were we started out by talking about Jason Pominville, and you said, so you've got some stats that say we shouldn't be too worried. Yes. And, and I, I asked you today, I said the same exact question. I said, are you seeing – in your deep dive of hockey statistics, are you seeing something that would that would make my eye test of Parisi? Because my eye test says this is still a hardworking veteran beat-up player who isn't that good. Uh, that's correct, and that's exactly what the stats say. The stats would point him as being basically a third-line winger at this point that his possession numbers usually were elite among the absolute best in the league, and you could see why. I mean, you can connect these numbers to what happens on the ice. He was winning puck battles like crazy. He was a complete hound for the puck all the time, created shots, took a lot of shots himself per game. That's at his best. And now he's not getting very many shots on goal. Uh, he picks his spots when it comes to winning battles as opposed to just winning battles for... 25 minutes a night yep. Yep. and he doesn't score he just does not score like he used to his production it, for even strength scoring is really close to basically what your third liner would be and i think that yeah, you got like a 10 million dollar third liner basically on your hands so if you demote him to the third line you've got pominville and parisi on your wings that is a testament to boudreaux's job when you consider how much of your salary cap would be eaten up by those two players yeah, and this is very depressing. By the it, way. it is I mean, a the little bit. Conversation's great, but this is very Be depressing because they're playing so well. You can kind of just like put your hand over your eyes for uh, Parisi's play right now. But I think the best combination. It was brought up. Uh, a caller on the air brought up if you played Eric Howla with Parisi and Pominville at his wings. I think that's a a really good third line. I think if you're matching that up against the Western conference, the rest of the Western conferences, third lines, uh, you brought up how the fourth line did very well against Chicago. The third line will too, because Chicago's basically playing with one and a half lines oh, yeah. at, at this point. The Kane line is incredible. The Taves line is okay. Not what it used they to be. Draft, they dressed. I, I want to say seven defensemen on Sunday. 
Kane was double shifting. Uh huh. Which, played, by the way, you can't do for too long. Twenty five minutes or something in that yes. in that range uh, last night. He, he was, was out there all the time, the whole the whole time. And that and right, he's just going to wear down if that happens. Even a guy that um, seems like he's just floating a lot of the time, yeah, and then that, too much that's match. too much ice time and too much punishment on the body for a regular season game. Um, but it might be another situation where you just have to not look at the uh, price tag on those guys because neither one of them is going anywhere and just say, well, if you have Jason Pominville and Zach Parisi as your third line guys with a speedster like Eric Howla who can play really good defensively too, yes, then you're in good shape. And just let's not talk about that contract until we have to. But it's so hard not to. It's so hard not to watch if if they had a third line with those two guys on, on the wings. It's so hard not to get caught up in the fact that here you have two of your highest paid guys who are third liners. But this also is a testament uh, to Boudreaux and the production he's got from players. Right? He has taken he's taken what was a fractured room and what what was basically the veterans here and the young guys there and said, you're all empowered. So where I give Boudreaux a ton of credit is he's not afraid to juggle lines. I don't think he purposely tries to upset players, but I also think he tells them, I'm going to do what's best for us, not you. Uh, the Parisi thing, I t- told you this before, the Parisi thing concerns me because of this. The guy was a fringe-type star player. He's a very good player because he combined hard work with talent. But that guy, when Zach Preezy was at his best, he was playing like a fourth-line guy. I mean, nobody worked harder in front of the net and the corners. And he had that good game against the Sharks, and Boudreaux came out and said, we basically sat down and and I told Zach, hey, when, when you're playing your best, you're going to the net, you're doing this and that. And my point was, Zach Preezy didn't forget that. Zach Preezy isn't going to the net as much because he had a herniated disc last year which they healed with rest, and he's probably very concerned. It's not like Parisi's lazy now. Zach Parisi is trying to do the best he can to stay out there, and I don't know if this is going to get to the point where, where he feels better and better and it goes away, but I do, I'm very curious to see when the playoffs start what he can do because I don't think that you can simply accept that, oh, you know what, he, he's not that key still. I think there's going to come a point and I think it's going to be April or May where you need Zach Parisi, and I have no idea if he can be there for you or not. I think if you're Bruce Boudreaux, what you have to do is during the regular season, you give him the minutes that he expects, and maybe you don't demote him to that third line. You keep him in the top six. You keep him playing with Eric Stahl or Koivu, and then when you get to playoff time, unless he's really rolling and picked it up, then you move him down to play with Eric Howla and you say, hey, we're, we're just trying to win here. We need all three lines going, so we're going to spread out some of our stars. Hmm. But handling Parisi for this situation, I think it's going to be pretty tough. No, I think it will I, be too. I, I think because you know who else doesn't forget about his contract is Zach Parisi, right? I mean, he knows that he's the star player, that he's been the star player on every one of his teams 
that he's been on Team USA that... I mean, we know this from Adrian Peterson. We call Adrian Peterson selfish for this, but it probably isn't that different for a lot of other stars in a lot of other sports. When you start to slide a little bit from being an elite player, the last person to ever find out is the player. Everybody else sees it coming a long way (laughs) away. Right, exactly. They just don't accept it. Exactly. I mean, Derek Jeter, just for example, in his last season, I mean, if, if Derek Jeter understood how bad he was in his last season, wouldn't he have said... Skip, why don't you move me down to the nine spot? Yep. I'm hitting 230. Like, why don't, why don't you give me some more days off? I'm really hurting the team here. No, because he still believed I'm Derek Jeter. I can do this. Just like Adrian Peterson still believes that he can run for 2,000 yards, even though it's really not realistic. So Parisi probably thinks that he still can score 30 goals and, and do it if things just go his way he or he's healthy. He's snake, but I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Sure in his mind. He thinks the goals are going to come. I watch it, though, and say he's a different player because he's compensating. Do you think it would be a good idea, though? So would you get to the first round of the playoffs and do that, or would you try and and trial balloon this thing sometime in February or March? Because I do think the one problem with doing it in the first round of the playoffs is you turn it into an immediate story where at least if you do it in February or March, by the time you get to the playoffs, we've seen it before. Or are used to it. It might be a case for shuffling down the stretch right? to see what works if you're the head coach. And this is one of the fascinating parts of coaching is just trying to handle these players to go along with, um, you know, just how the line should go together with mixing skill sets. I remember um, talking with an AHL coach, kind of off the record, just chatting with him about a player. And I said, why are you playing this guy, you know, top six minutes or whatever else? He said, because I know if I demote him, it'll just demolish him, and I'll get nothing out of him the rest of the way right, because, because I understand his personality. It's a great point. And there's there's got to be that handling, too. Maybe what I would do is, as you go down the stretch and you're securing a playoff spot, maybe you trade for another guy. So it gives you an excuse to say, all right, well, you know, we've got another center mixed in here, so let's let's try you guys there and you guys there. Hey, we're just experimenting to get some stats down on paper to see how uh, – you know, everybody performs, and then it might be a non-story when you get into the playoffs. I think that's the best that you can really come up with because right now there's just better options at that wing than him in yep. the top six. And that's just something we didn't expect to happen, I don't think, this fast into the contract. But it's another NHL player that's in his 30s. And statistically, when a guy gets into his 30s, there are only a handful of players who continue to be really good. And usually those guys, Eric Stahl does not have the miles on his body of Zach Parisi. I mean, he's not a guy that's just out there crushing people or out there battling all the time. He does not have injuries. And Parisi is. And that's why I think we're seeing that's the drop off. Of yeah. Yeah. I mean, his style of play screamed at some point in time, I'm basically going to be done. Where, you know, stall and guys like that play hard. But I'm talking about a guy that consistently goes to the corner or the net and gets the crap beat out, out of them on a nightly basis. The stall signing to me, though, continues to be outstanding. Mm-hmm. This continues to be, and I don't know what you would classify him as. Cause I mean, I don't see him as being a guy who, who you ever looked at in the last four or five years and said potential number one guy, but what he has allowed this team to do has shocked me. I, th- I thought best case he'd be serviceable and pretty good, 
but he's been good on the ice, off the ice. Everything that they have asked him to do, he's done. And when you look at the production that you get from him compared to what I expected, it's night and day, completely night and day. I think when you look at the Western Conference that a lot of the centers are kind of like Eric Stahl in a way. They all are kind of past their day, and I'm leaving one out on purpose. Uh, We'll get to that in a second because I've got another question to ask you. But the guys who are the established superstar centers in the Western Conference, Jonathan Taves, not having a very good year at all. Ryan Getzlaff, not what he used to be. Still a good player, but not what he used to be. Not having a great year also. Anzi Kopitar is probably still the best. I think he's probably the number one in the Western Conference. And Joe Thornton, an amazing year last year. Not quite as good this year, but clearly at his age, not in the pure prime of a hockey player. And I think it's the same thing with Stahl, so it evens out in a way. Now, my question for you was going to be, if there's a nightmare matchup for the Wild, I'll bring my Stratomatic baseball team into this. I went all in on Stratomatic. I play in a league with my buddies. Very geeky of you. Congratulations. Yes. It's like we do drafts. Shows you as a massive nerd, but I appreciate that. I am 100% okay with that. I I copped to watching Golden Girls and House Hunters today on the air. So Golden Girls is a solid show. A great show. You never have to be embarrassed about B. Arthur. No. Uh, Rue McClanahan. Rue McClanahan, yeah. Betty Tre- White. Tremendous. Fantastic. Um, great cast. Anyway, so my Stratomatic team, I decided to go all in. And I got all these hitters. I traded draft picks. And I was like, I am set for a big run. I've been building this team for a while. And guess what? First round of the playoffs, I ran into the team that had three really good pitchers, and I was knocked out. And that's just what can happen, right? I mean, if you just face the nightmare matchup for whatever you are, um, sometimes it doesn't work out. And I think I have the nightmare matchup for the Wild in the Western Conference. Go ahead. Can I guess it? Guess it. The Los Angeles Kings. I would say yes, but I was going to go with the Edmonton Oilers. And I'll tell I will tell you why. Tell me why. Because I think the Wild pride themselves on using their speed a lot and their skill. And I think that is the team that is incredibly, super freakishly fast, starting with Connor McDavid. And it's the only center matchup that I think they have no chance at. I think all the other top centers, they can at least hold their ground. But I do not think against Edmonton that there's anybody on this team that can face off with Connor McDavid. You'd put Halla on him for sure. Halla surprised me when Halla first made a name for himself with the Wild. It was in the playoff series a few years ago against the Hawks and the Taze line, and he played well. If you tell Eric Halla, any offense you give us is complete gravy, kid, but what we want you to do is shut this guy down, McDavid is fantastic, and he's going to score. That being said, I don't think it would be a complete disaster because Hall has got the speed to keep up there. Now, what you have to tell him, though, is you're going into the series purely as a third-line defensive guy. Mm -hmm. Because where Hall has struggled in the past is, oh, my gosh, I have to play defense but provide offense as well. I I think it would be great fun to watch Hall and his speed and his ability defensively against McDavid. I I think that would be fun to see. A little bit of the issue is that the Oilers also have two monsters up front in their top six, too. Two big physical bruising scorers in Milan Lucic and Patrick Maroon. Now, Lucic, I, I 
have heard, though, is uh, struggled and is not playing that well. Eh, 27 points in 45 games. So, I don't know. I, I just heard uh, last week uh, some commentators were talking about him and said that he's not delivering what they expected. Yeah, uh, he's well, he's another guy that's on the, their defense, the, other, the other side. Because they were incredibly yes. leaky previously on defense. So, I, I wonder if, if you couldn't outscore them at times, too. That would be the issue, yeah. And I think uh, special teams would come into it. But their center depth with... Uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins. There's so much skill there. Dreisaitl's great. He's a fantastic player. I think that that makes for a very, very tough matchup. And, I mean, they're hanging around toward the top of the Western Conference. I mean, they've got a really good chance of making the playoffs right now. That would concern me. Los Angeles is the other team, too, because if there's anybody who can slow you down, it's Los Angeles who can control the pace of play. And that is what the Wild try to do themselves. And uh, Quick is going to come back, I think, in March, and he's going to be fresh. Mm-hmm. The Kings are so weird because they're that team where, where you say if they make the playoffs, they're going to be scary because there's a chance they won't. They're such a weird club. But they're a team that you watch with Doughty, and if Quick comes back, and as you said, up front with Kopitar, you also look at them and say with their size, their potential speed, and that goaltending, they would be a pain in the ass to play, a complete pain. I'm not saying that the Wild couldn't beat them, but if I go through the Western Conference, I have no interest in seeing them. Chicago was that. I can't get my head around the Blackhawks yet. They've they've lost so much, and they're still really good, but I don't know if they're going to be as playoff dominant as they have been previously. I can't decide on, on them yet. I need to see more of the Blackhawks. I would also say that the, the two other teams, and I don't, I don't mean to just be like naming every team. That's a podcast. Um, Go right ahead. The, uh, the Predators are similar in a lot of ways that they don't have like that top elite number one center. And they're starting to come along. They're starting to get it back together. P.K. Subban's going to come back for them. And they have goaltending issues, though. That I, I'm not sure that... He's not played well this season. He hasn't Back played well in a long... Played. He hasn't played yeah. well in a long time. Two years ago, I think. I don't... I mean, even if you go back past that, he might have had a good year two years ago, yeah, he but he wasn't good even the year or two before. So it's pretty much like four out of the last five years that he hasn't been good. Okay. So I don't. I look at them, though, as a team that can get hot and can play fast, and especially their defense coming out of that back end with Ryan Ellis, P.K. Subban. If they're 100%, they could be dangerous. The Blues are kind of like Minnesota, except for with a coach with a different strategy. Right, like in terms of their roster of having three lines that can score. There's something about them I don't like. I don't like them that that much. I saw I saw the goaltending. Yeah, I saw them play Boston last week, and I wasn't impressed whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, their starting goaltender got lifted in that game. And actually, the kid Hutton, who I think they got from the Predators in a trade, came in and played well. But there's something about the Blues. They just continually Hitchcock's teams there. They seem like they're pretty good in the season. And then something goes wrong. I don't know. I don't trust them. They've had pretty much the same. I wouldn't same, mind playing them. They've had the same problem that the Wild have had, where it's yeah. a lot and not of. Mike Yo. Not so, yes. Not so much last year, though. They did make a deep run last year, but they've got that defensive uh, defenseman who's a stud and Alex Petrangelo. They've got offensive skill on defense with Shattenkirk and Colton Pareko. Yep. They, they don't have an elite center, but they've got a couple of centers Tarasenko's who are good. Great. And they, and they would have when he decides that, that he wants to play by the way though, because he can, if he shows up, he's phenomenal, but that playoff series that they played against the, the wild two years ago now in that first round, when the wild beat them, 
there were games where Tarasenko basically just took the night off. Yeah, I think that part of that is probably him growing into his prime, too. I mean, he's just had so much success as such a young player. But he would be the best player on the ice oh, in, yeah. a, in a series like that. The yeah. only guy with a 40-goal capability. Yep. Um, there was another question I was going to ask you. you got to write those questions now down, man. I forgot Especially it. Especially as you're aging, like it, I am. See, <laughs> yeah. you got a notepad out, you write questions down. Oh, I was going to ask you this. So the Wild are the best team in the West right now. Mm-hmm. Where, to, I guess it's part A, part B. Um, where do you think that they finish? And a, as we look at it right now, like they have unbelievable goaltending, a lot of guys that are performing above their head, so there could be some regression here, and that's what a lot of um, statistical people are kind of expecting is them to slide back a little bit, unless Devin Dubnik has the greatest goalie season of all time. Right. Probably not going to happen unless, you know, Chris Stewart continues to score at 25% of his shots. I mean, there are a few things that... And you still w- rip them. Will come <laughs> ...that will come back to life. Yeah. Where do they finish, and w- if one thing is going to go wrong, what is that thing? Oh, man. Uh, I'm not convinced they won't finish first in the Central because the Blackhawks don't care about that. Boudreaux's won, he's coached for, is it nine years now? And I believe he's won eight division titles. And the year he didn't, he got fired by Washington and then almost immediately got the Ducks job. Mm -hmm. So I would not, I will say that they're going to win the division partially based on the fact that Chicago doesn't care about that, which by the way, I appreciate completely. I think winning the division in this sport is meaningless. I don't think it matters. I don't care about it. If I can rest guys and, and, or try and win the division, I will rest guys. Uh, What would go wrong besides injuries, which would be a potential huge blow. I would say I'm most curious to see if Dubnik can continue on this pace and I understand that the team, as you talked about, Collar, I understand that the team is forcing shots from the outside, which makes him a better goaltender. All of that being said, he's been so damn good. And his career, he's had periods like this before, but his career does not scream this. There have been there have been periods when, when he joined this team two years back, he single-handedly took them to the playoffs. He was unbelievable. But then the playoffs got here, and he was okay, not great. So... My biggest curiosity and the one pitfall I see is if Dubnik starts to regress from great to good and some of those weird goals start to go in, if you get to spring and playoff time, that's a big problem. That's probably my biggest thing. I guess two on my list is can Eric Stahl keep this up? Can Eric Eric Stahl – is the Eric Stahl that we saw the last two years before this an aberration? Is this sort of him but not him? So question two would be – if in an entire season, if he stays healthy, can Eric Stahl continue a style of play which makes him this damn good? For, by the way, this cheap right now. Well, you touched on both of them for me, too. I was going to go whichever one you didn't pick. and, oh, then, and you, then I took both. You, I'm sorry. You, you picked both. No, that's very, okay. Very uh, I do wonder definitely about Devin Dubnik, but I will say this, that his career save percentage since joining Minnesota is 928 I mean that is up in yeah, the no, he's been very yeah good. that is up in the elite level. He didn't have an unbelievable season last year, but it was good. And the bigger sample is saying that he will at least continue to be one of the league's better goalies. With Eric Stahl, yeah, does he tucker out a little bit? I mean, this has got to be the 
biggest role that he's taken on. He would have still been the top center in Carolina, but it was just such a bad team that it's a, it's a different kind of pace too. Carolina. I think kind of played a little more plodding along as opposed to flying up down the ice. So we'll see on that. Some of the shooting percentages are going to come down, but with Grandland, Coyle, Zucker, those guys are another huge question because they've had, they've all had flashes during their career where you've gone, woo, this is a player. And then there have been some dips in their play. But and big time with Grandland, you're exactly right there. And right now they're all playing at a high level at the same time. So who's, who's going to dip and win? And how do you come out but of that? But then my question is if a wing dips, does Parisi come up or not? Because I think ultimately, if Zach continues to be the player that, that he is right now, it's going to bite you. I really think at some point in time, either Parisi needs to contribute way more statistically, or you're going to look at the end of the year and say it was a problem. Yeah, and none of the numbers point to that. I mean, it could happen, but they like there are there are statistical indicators. I'll just give you a couple real quick. One would be a guy's shooting percentage. I mentioned it with Chris Stewart. If Zach Parisi had a, a shooting percentage of like 4%, says, ah, the guy's just getting unlucky because he usually shoots 10%, then you would say, okay, I get it. He's just He's got some bad luck. He'll come around. But his shots per game have gone down so much from when he was an elite player. And also, he's not controlling the puck more than the other team when he's out no. there, which he would have done in the past. So you say, uh, there's nothing that screams that this guy's just going to bounce back. I test wise too, right? I mean, if you go and watch games now, he's trying, but he he's never been super fast, color. But there were certainly times where he was fast enough, and now he's a tick behind. So there's enough from both ends. But I just I really think that if this is the new reality of Zach Parisi, that you are eventually going to say that cost you something. And to your point. If a guy, if a if a winger's play dips, his play, Parisi's play has to come up. I, I don't think there's any guarantee that that happens, and that could be a problem. But the Dubnik thing to me is huge, which is when you get to the first and second round of the playoffs. My th- my theory has been your goaltender, if he's great, quick guy like that, can win you a game or two. He doesn't. He can't. He can't win the entire series. Right. But he can win a game or two. I can't think off the top of my head a playoff game that Dubnik has won for the Wild, and I think that if they're going to make a deep run, there probably has to be one game per series where you look back and say, Devin Dubnik in that game stood on his bleeping head and was fantastic and didn't allow a weird goal and made all these saves that, that were outstanding. I don't know if he's there or not, and that concerns me. Or it would actually start in the playoffs. He is Judd Zolgad. I'm Matthew Collar. Make sure that uh, you leave us some of your thoughts on, on that if you want to. I've been going through the Hockey comments. Analytics. How can yeah. you not? I've been going through the comments on some of my football articles, and you know what? There are a lot of websites on the Internet. I don't know if you know this, Judd. The Internet's big, right? That have comments that make you want to throw yourself off a tall building, and 1500ESPN.com is not one of those. So I like going in and chatting with people. So feel free to leave uh, comments there. If your comment is, when are you guys going to be on iTunes? We're working on it. We will be. Soon enough. iTunes, art, a picture possibly. Us and Tooks. Soon enough. Us and Tooks. I told you, that's what I want. Us with Tooks on. I agree. And iTunes and Podcast One. But It's all happening, Matthew. Yeah, it is. The it whole is. big we're, thing is happening. We're very modern. But uh, 
Right now, MLK Day is getting in the way of some of that. So thanks, Martin Luther King. Well, we were just, you know what, I hope you're all enjoying your day off right now saying what I really wanted today was some good, hardcore, wild talk. Right. And hey, you're in first place in the Western Conference. Yeah. Only the Capitals are between you, I believe, and the top spot in the entire National Hockey League, Wild fans. Let's enjoy it while also being very cautious in what we enjoy too much. All right. We'll catch you next time here on Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure.